This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your mask-wearing host, Howie. And this week, we're actually talking a brand new movie. It's actually funny how this came about, because it was completely by happenstance. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. This is really like one of the things where we don't really have to ask each other what our experience was watching the movie, because we actually watched this movie in the movie theater together. Well, actually, Angel, was it was one of those things, as you guys know, I'm fun employed, kind of. <laughs> and then uh, Angel took a day off of work. So we're like, hey, do you want to hang out to go watch The Black Phone in case you don't know what movie we're reviewing? I think it was supposed to come out, I guess, sometime last year. 2021. Um, yeah. So I guess it's been completed, but for some reason it got pushed back. Which, you know, hey, with COVID, a bunch of that shit was happening everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. It's just... It's just what happened. Um, but I guess this made some kind of screener circuit. And then it finally came out now. Because I did see that there was certain theaters in the area that were playing this movie before this week. Like, mm, I think okay. only in San Francisco, I think, were you able to watch this for a few weeks until it, like, kind of got a wider release. So Was it, was it one of those, like, Alamo Drafthouse releases? Yeah, something like that. Mm, that's why. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so this is a Blumhouse movie. And even though I had seen the trailer for it, I wasn't really sure that I was going to watch it at all. And again, it kind of just came out and happenstance that we ended up watching it. And we haven't done a horror movie on here. Well, we did Evil Dead not that long ago. But you know, consider Evil Dead a horror movie and just not a cinematic masterpiece, then you're trash. (laughs) You're a scared uh, baby. That's what you are. But, you know, it, it was nice to be able to get together and watch a movie again. So um, I know it felt normal. Like, you know, we weren't in the middle of a of world ending virus as our country falls into a fascist hellscape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It felt nice. The um, world just gets worse around us. But here we are, you know, being able to watch a horror movie and talk about it on our stupid show. <laughs> if it wasn't for this podcast, I would go and say. <laughs> I do want to say one thing real quick before we get into the movie. You've seen the trailer, right? I did, like a week before I watched the movie. So it was really interesting, because you watch the trailer, it feels like one of those old 2000s trailer where they give you the entire movie plot in like two minutes. And I was like, no, I'm not going to watch this movie. I already know the best. I know the twist. What's the point? And I'll tell you this right now, if you're considering watching this movie and you make it to this far into the podcast while listening to it without watching it, pause it, go watch it. It's it's actually, even if you do know where this movie's going, it it, it surprises you. It's actually, it, it, it does some things that are very satisfying. So don't let the trailers tell you what to do, I guess, is the moral of that story. Mm-hmm. But it was just weird. Like, I don't know if you felt that way, but I watched it and I'm like, dude, they just literally told me the entire movie. Well, that's what it felt like watching this. And I think that was a complaint that people had. So I don't know how popular this movie is going to be or how much traction it's going to get. 
But I'm definitely glad that I did decide to go see it because I think regardless, even though what you know what story is about, um, there's a, there's still stuff in here that 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 you won't that you, you won't, won't expect like, see coming. Yeah. yeah, even though the movie's telling you what it is. Like the thing is that this is I don't want to oversell how great this is or how good this is, but I do want to say this: it's really good when a horror movie can surprise you without having to go for cheap jumps all the time and that's not and that's not me insulting jump scares in movies like i i love jump scares they're good and you know no, i fuck love yeah, the we're work insulting of james wan we're looking right at you might, james wan <laughs> yeah some people might look at james wan as a jump scare merchant but i think that his work is actually really good and i appreciate those things as well <laughs> what does he do? Some jump scares by the pound. <laughs> jump scares here. Go get your jump scares. Uh, but that's not again. Like that's not me shitting all over jump scares. Like I like movies that do that. But then I also do like when movies don't do that in the same way. So you know when a movie makes you scared because something crazy happens all of a sudden. But now imagine a movie that does that but doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much the black phone i think we were talking about this and this is going to be one of those funny episodes because we talked about it while we were leaving the theater and then we're also going to talk about it again now so i think well first let me go ahead and get into this this movie is directed by um scott derrickson who we last week the movie we did was the doctor strange and the multiverse of madness so Scott Derrickson ended up leaving Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And this is the movie that ends up coming out in its stead. So it maybe maybe to the betterment of all. I mean, mm-hmm. I know you you are a giant Sam Raimi fanboy, so you appreciated Sam Raimi like coming in to, to do the rest of Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, I think we both will see how we feel about this movie, but I, I'm my thoughts on it are pretty positive. Um, I mean, the other thing is too, like I think you and I like both talked about it on the way back from the movie theater that next week we would like to uh, watch the movie Sinister only because like I talk I was like talking about how good I thought he, Ethan Hawke was in this movie. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Sinister Scott. is directed by Scott Derrickson as well. Actually, he has a very interesting couple of movies that make a lot of sense, like the Exorcism of Emily Rose sinister and apparently he did the first doctor strange i don't hate those movies (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i didn't like i didn't dislike doctor strange it was definitely above average like marvel movie so it's like it's one of those things without even realizing it oh i am familiar with scott derrickson and he's not bad like he's not a bad director right he did do that remake of the day the earth said still movie (laughs) with (laughs) keanu reeves so hey, everybody's yeah. It's yeah, we all got we all got discussing things. <laughs> Everyone gets one. <laughs> uh yeah, but um yeah. So he uh, takes over this project. This film was based on a short story written by Joe Hill. And those of you that are super in the horror community, you probably recognize the name as Stephen King's son. Mm-hmm. Um. So Joe Hill wrote this, uh, he wrote this short story back in 2007 as a part of the 20th century ghost stories or 20th century ghosts. It was just like a, um, 
it was his first published like published like book length work that he did um and it made its rounds like in the uk then it came over stateside um but yeah i mean the from what i've read so far the book is or the movie is pretty faithful to like the story itself so for all intents and purposes this movie has a lot of uh a lot of heavy hitting like horror pedigree going on with it Mm -hmm. you know you got the director of sinister which apparently is is shit pants shittingly terrifying which i haven't seen in a while so i'm actually looking forward to checking that out um of course produced by jason bloom in the house that uh in the house that uh paranormal activity built yep and then he is written by joe hill which is the son of the godfather of all modern horror which is stephen king so how, how does all that shake out together we're about to see all right, so this movie takes place in 1978, and it starts with a uh, well. First, for anyone who's listening game. to this show for the first time, I don't know why this would be the first episode you listen to, but in case it is, we're gonna spoil it. It's what we do; <laughs> we spoil movies to hell and back. So we're the just, spoilers, baby. Actually, we should just change the podcast name to the spoilers. <laughs> um, so yeah, so just fair warning before we get into this. But this movie takes place in 1978, uh, in like a suburb outside of Denver, Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the again, it could just be it doesn't there's nothing particularly Denver about this. It just feels like any town USA, like well, uh, and any town that, USA for white folks in the 70s for sure. I was but, gonna say know, that, yeah. I mean, has, there, even though there is, even though there is a Hispanic kid that lives in this neighborhood who we hey, will, who we will get uh, familiar with. There is one Hispanic kid and one Asian kid, and in the seventies, that's called diversity. <laughs> it's true, but it's funny because I guess Denver is such a mid city inside of such a mid state that it just feels all right, like buddy. It's... All right, yeah, I'm that's down. right. You and I, I have neither. It. We have neither been to Colorado nor Denver, yeah. so I think we should calm the fuck down before Why we would piss I want to off. Go to that before we piss off potential listeners team. from Denver. No, bring it, you bastards. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys in your free weed and your mile-high stadiums, go to hell. All right. No, any chance I get, we're shitting on Denver on this show. All right. 50% of this show is shitting on Denver. No, I hear it's a beautiful city. I do want to go look at it one day. <laughs> anyway, signed, dearly, sincerely, a Raiders fan. Anyway, back to the show. So, uh, the, yeah, the game opens up with a baseball game story, um, where the star of our movie um, appears. I forget what the kid's name is. Finny, I think. Finny um, is his nickname, but I think it's Finny in or something like that. Let me see. Uh, no, Finny Blake. Finny Blake. There we go. All right. Well, there we are. <laughs> well, the, well, such an interesting name. But uh, he pretty much he's at what appears to be like a baseball championship, at least for his uh, for his little league team. Uh, he's the pitcher. There's this kid at bat. Um, he uh, throws two strikes. And on the third one, the kid just uh, hammers the ball home. Kind of staring down Finney the entire time as he runs the bases. And at the end of the game, after the dap up, um, 
you know, the kid comes up and he tells, uh, and he tells Finney, like, you know, no hard feelings, that he has a hell of an arm. He tells him his arm is mint um, and that he almost had him. And that kind of, like, gives Finney, like, some cause of, like, of pride. And uh, after they head their own ways, the other kid, who I forget what his name was. Do you remember? You're talking about the, the other kid, the, the Asian kid he was kid. playing against? Bruce. <laughs> The Asian kid. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I don't want to call him the Asian kid the entire podcast, but I think his name was Bruce. I'm gonna edit that part out, but yes. <laughs> uh, well, what do you want me to describe him as? <laughs> anyway, the kid Bruce. He ended up. Um, he ended up uh, like gu- just hitting dingers to win yeah. the game. <laughs> He's just dinging it all over the place. <laughs> and it looks like he steals uh Finney's girl after that. <laughs> Cause after she sees that he gets uh taken for yards, he just kind of dips after the game. But as Bruce is kind of out out and about on the town, like you know, people are congratulating him, he's riding home. And then as he's riding, we see that he gets followed ominously by this black, like va- blacked out window, windowless van. And this takes us to our credits that show kind of like it feels almost like a TV show credit scene. Um, just kind of giving you like some backstory of uh, some disappearances of uh, some young boys in this town. I like when you mentioned the idea of this feeling like an early 2000s like kind of trailer because it really does. I don't know. It, it, it does feel like something that would have been made 10 years ago. Does it not? Like there's nothing about this that feels particularly like 2022. This really mm. does like feel like something that could have been made like in 06, 07 or something like that. It's I mean, just... the plot of the movie is very similar to the lovely bones, which at least in like thematically is my understanding. I've never seen the lovely bone, so I could be a hundred percent wrong, <laughs> but if I remember correctly, that was also written by like Stephen King or he had something to do with it, but pretty much you're right. Like it's a very, there's nothing about it that really tells us this is brand spanking new story, you know? And um, yeah. So after, after the credits or the beginning credits roll, um it's revealed that bruce has been missing since the baseball game um finney uh lives at home with uh his clearly uh disturbed father alcoholic father and his uh sister gwen no yeah before we get too far into that as well like i do we do kind of see the scene where where bruce gets abducted Except it like it fades out so quickly that we don't actually get to see like it, it does this weird thing where we don't actually get to see this the grabber is what they're gonna call him like not for a so while just... and every time that we get close to seeing him we see his black van with black balloons which are supposed to be his trademark but whenever we're getting close to like seeing what he's about to do with like you know grabbing one of these kids. It just fades out really quickly, and then all of a sudden we cut to this kid's been missing for a long time, which is an interesting way to go for it. I mean, if you watch the trailer, you already know you already know what the villain looks like. So the idea yeah. that they're trying to keep the villain from you is kind of weird. But uh, yeah, then I have to remember that this movie last year was like making screener runs, 
And it's just, I don't know. Maybe they felt that they needed to give away this much in a trailer to get people to want to see it. But it really is weird to try this technique when we all know exactly what this guy looks like. I mean, don't get me wrong. It doesn't take away anything from the creep factor as we later see. But yeah, it's a very interesting choice to have your villain just like out in the, you know, broad daylight. Um, Which, I mean, could work thematically, too, if that's one of the things that you're trying to get across with your story. Um, But yeah, kind of going back. We have Finny uh, Finny and Gwen um, living with their alcoholic father. Um, We see that Finn gets bullied a lot at school. Um, On the way to school one morning, uh, one of Finn's friends, or Finny's friends, um, Robin, the aforementioned Hispanic child of this town. Uh, he's getting into a fight with one of the bullies and ends up kicking the shit out of the dude like to the point where he's like like gratuitous gratuitously bleeding I was like Jesus this kid is like hardcore and uh, Gwen even makes the comment that he's the toughest kid in school not since you know name drop some other kid I think it was Vance Mm-hmm. Um, has there been a kid uh, just as tough as him? Um, and as the day progresses, we see Finney gets picked on and gets kind of targeted by this one group of kids. And they follow him into a bathroom where uh, we learn that Robin is actually Finney's friend. And he walks into the bathroom, washes the other kid's blood off his knuckles, <laughs> and essentially tells the bullies if they fuck with Finny, he's going to fuck with each and every one of them. Right. Uh, which ends up scaring the bullies away. Which I appreciate this character being like one of the few, one of the few that sticks up for him. Mm-hmm. Because, in, and it becomes like an ongoing, like, like story or you know bit in this movie where, even though it's not a comedy i still can't help but call it a bit but <laughs> but it's like a there's this like thing that goes throughout the movie where finney has to learn to defend himself and it's like he seems like one of those really like shy like you know weenie type kids that doesn't want <laughs> that doesn't want to stand up for himself and his character arc will be like him learning how to stand up for himself throughout the course of this film i don't know why but referring to kids as weenies is always weird. <laughs> like yeah i know it's bullying and we shouldn't but yeah, the, like that's the that's the whole arc that um, Finney kind of embarks on is learning to defend himself, right. um, and having that support uh, from his friend to help him do so. Um, Robin and Finney seem like genuine friends. They talk about uh, movies. Uh, Robin tries to convince Finney to watch uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, to which Finney responds saying that his dad would never let him. And as we learn, they're not like a conservative Christian household per se. Like they don't outright say it or show it. But you can tell that like uh, Finney's dad, and Finney and Gwen's dad just doesn't have, want anything to do with the supernatural. Mm-hmm. And as we learn... Uh, Gwen uh, gets called into the or into the principal's office um, 
or later that day uh, at school where she's kind of interviewed by the principal as well as the uh, local Denver police officers or uh, these uh, Denver police detectives. And they ask her about how she knew about uh, black balloons at the site of Bruce's abduction to which she responds saying that she had a dream about it. Um, And (laughs) it's a very interesting interaction because she's essentially telling the, the principal and she's telling these teachers or she's telling these cops, she's not trying to hide it, that she has these psychic powers and that sometimes her dreams come true. Um, And while the, while the officers it's weird. It's not like they don't believe her, but they just don't believe that she has powers, but they do believe she knows something. Um, and of course, we, we, get, uh, we get sassy kids swearing at adults was one of my favorite tropes where she ends up calling them fucking fart knockers. <laughs> she really is, obviously, I think the character people are going to like because she gets all the, she gets all the dingers, like the zingers in this, sorry. Beyond that, she also is like the one who basically gets a shit talk Jesus while she's praying to him later. <laughs> My favorite line is Jesus. What the fuck? <laughs> no, but often the- things I say in my re- regular life as well. Something that took me like you know twenty years and finally getting over my Catholic guilt to finally say. <laughs> she's and she has the cynicism of a like 30 year old like atheist all at the tender age of 11 (laughs) but um yeah so after after school um uh gwen reminds finney that she's gonna go stay at her friend's house that's friday to which he responds that um he's gonna take he's gonna go home and he's gonna take care of their dad um And it's at this point that um, Finney kind of stays up as late as he can. His dad ends up falling asleep. And uh, he gets awoken to Gwen's screams. And when he comes running into the kitchen, he finds his father just viciously beating her with, uh, with his belt. Yeah, talking about it's it's it can be a little rough it can be a bit of a rough watch especially because it's like this is the kind of stuff that you don't most people don't want to do it in film at at this point anyway because it's Mm -hmm. like why put this kind of trauma on film but uh you know does it do anything like for the movie i i don't that's the only problem I have with this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. is that it, it just doesn't there's nothing in particular that it does about it like there could be ways of telling that he's an alcoholic drunkard like without having to show this and i guess they felt that they needed to show it to to make this guy some sort of you know villainous character which they do and then they i feel like they try to pull back at certain points as well so i don't know it's 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 one of those things where i'm just kind of like all right you didn't exactly need this but whatever it's 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 so weird because they don't it doesn't amount to anything it doesn't lead to anything there's no arc for the dad to recover from this there's no scene where he understands and maybe he's not meant to recover from this maybe this is like one of those things where like this movie is kind of like stand by me right where Mm -hmm. it's like we're gonna show you kids in danger 
and it's just like well this is how it was back then you know mm-hmm. all these kids were in danger they, they were threatened during fights and you know we also even the graphic nature of the fights that we get later like in the beginning of this movie and later in the movie it's just mm-hmm. there's a lot of inherent violence in this town i guess it, well the, and that's the, the i don't know that's the weird thing that was my problem with the with the scene like like it's weird that it's just there like if if the thing is that you're trying to show the violence of like adult indifference to the suffering of kids and then it's like why pull back later on and have him be such a soft character you know oh Mm -hmm. and if the point is that you're trying to say that it's a suffering father who doesn't know how to relate to their kids because of their gift and he's trying to recover from that it's like well then you did a bad job of showing that because you don't then show him go through any sort of arc for the next 70 minutes of the movie you know what i'm saying like it's one of those weird things where it feels like it was only added in for shock value and to remind Mm -hmm. you that these kids I mean, like, maybe that these kids just have each other and they don't trust their dad because their dad's a piece of shit. Um, I don't know. It was a very weird choice. Like, I agree with you. It was a weird choice to have this scene included. It was... And then have it amount to nothing, really. You know? Um, Unless, like you said, unless the the whole point of this scene is just to show, hey, any town USA, kind of ultra-violent, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, and maybe that's like the point, right? Maybe the point is that this is that that we idealize these older times, and yet a lot of fucked up shit happened in them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but anyway, once we eventually we do get to this point where um, where Finny is, and it feels like the whole movie is setting it up. Like it feels like it's only a matter of time before Finny gets kidnapped by this guy, mm-hmm. and you know yeah, because it's Robin. Just, it, it, it's it's just leading up to it especially especially once robin has been uh kidnapped as well yeah once robin gets kidnapped it gets exacerbated it's so after yeah so after that scene um you know and, and you know there's some dialogue that kind of shows um like that talks about that gwen's mother had the same gift she does and that kind of is what led her father kind of, or the kid's dad kind of going through this like kind of dark transformation um meanwhile that same saturday that um finney and gwen are just kind of recovering after the morning uh robin is seen to encounter a black van around the corner of a store which then makes him an outlier of the pattern because later on in one of the movie or in the movie uh, it's said that the grabber tends to go after kids in the after school hours, him being the exception, being on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but right after Robin gets taken, Finney's life takes a nosedive from here on. The, without Robin's protection, the bullies are chasing him and beating him almost on the daily. Uh, we get the scene where he gets jumped by three of them and one has to go in to save them by like, <laughs> bashing one of them over the head with a rock and the dude's like (laughs) profusely bleeding yeah no kid like i swear i thought i was gonna watch this kid die like the amount of blood that is just pouring down his head and clearly he has a concussion like Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> oh yeah, shocking. lights are on and no yeah. one's home. Like, <laughs> like I was expecting him to go into like seizures or, or start seizing up the way he got like bonked over the head. Mm-hmm. And then like you see, like this movie doesn't hold back on the violence inflicted on children by other children. No, well, that said, I think one of the reasons why if this movie's getting any kind of a lukewarm response, it's probably because it just kind of does a lot of things at once because we're seeing this kind of slice of life of this late seventies kid, which I appreciate that it's the late seventies and we're not trying to do the eighties again, because the last thing I need to do is, is see a bunch of break dancing Rubik's cube playing <laughs> aerobics, doing new Coke drinking, like smart ass kids. Like, you know, like, I, I can, I can deal with it in stranger things, especially <laughs> since I'm only a few episodes into that new season. The season's great so far. Um, but I, 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 I just can't do this between that and and then it and I, it's just I'm over kids in the '80s at least at least the '70s stuff. It's not calling too much attention to itself, mm-hmm. you know. Like it's <laughs> no, just, give me it, kids it's in stuff the '90s. That's just there, honestly, yeah, I, I can't wait till we're out of this thing where we need to do like '70s and '80s all the time. I really do wish we do eventually get to '90s because hey, you know, like. Most people who are making films would be our age. Like that is the years they were growing up in, and this and it, it still was a kids on bike decade, even though less so than the previous two. You know what? I'm gonna say it. This is the episode of Javi's Hot Takes. The '80s not all that good. All right, not all they're cracked up to be. Well, the sure. '80s is most definitely not good if you're not one of these suburban white kids. So, yeah. it, it, the thanks, idealized man. '80s that we're getting on television is be, is thanks to pop culture, which likes to idealize it and feel like we were all like Reagan loving, <laughs> Star Wars watching, like. <laughs> kids who ate at pizza hut every weekend you know what i mean (laughs) oh yeah don't you love et no angel does not (laughs) but yeah 80s suck okay ronald reagan sucked and i think you've listened to this show enough you know i hate ronald (laughs) right so all right anyway besides besides that kind of stuff that we have like this the 70s slice of life stuff we also got at the same time like I think I mentioned it to you that this feels kind of like a Twilight Zone episode because it feels like it's the world that we're supposed to live in and then mm-hmm. we're like gradually being lifted into the supernatural. And one of the supernatural things here is, of course, that Gwen is some kind of psychic mm-hmm. who is helping her local police department locate the grabber because in her <laughs> dreams she's able to see things that no one else can see. And... <laughs> Hey, uh, Paramount Plus, shut up. I have a TV <laughs> pilot in mind. A sassy 12-year-old that helps NYPD solve murders. <laughs> Kids who solve crime, which isn't a problem. Like, I mean, if the movie was all about Gwen, that's one thing. But it's just a little weird that it's like she has some sort of gift. And then it also implies that her mother had some sort of gift. And then, and then we have the stuff that's going to happen later once Finney's been kidnapped. And it's just like, it feels like there's too much, there's too much supernatural stuff going on at once. And that's and, the thing, like, that's kind of a Joe Hill thing. And I know I talked about it with you before that Joe Hill likes to put in a supernatural twist to, um, to other stories, right? Like I told, I, I told, I talked about it offline, but like one of my favorite comics of his is called he- Basketful of Heads. 
which is about a girl figuring out about like some shady crimes going on and like i forgot where i forget where it's supposed to be but it's like mid 80s um like east coast like pretty much wherever stephen king grew up right and then it's like she gets her hand uh, or gets her hands on like this old like viking axe that reanimates the dead and when she uses it she like cuts this dude's head off and then the head's alive and which now she has this basket full of heads they're gonna help her solve crimes <laughs> like he does these weird goofy concepts where it is like high strangeness going on but then it's grounded in like this really dark gritty story and it, it i don't know where i don't want to say it takes itself too serious because based on like the subject matter but it is one of those things where it's like as opposed to in some kevin uh i was about to say um kevin king <laughs> as opposed to some Stephen King stories where there's kind of like some lightheartedness to it it feels like it's more dark uh, and gritty in in, uh, Joe Hill's stories Um, but yeah so it's like after we get the weirdness with um, with uh, not Robin sorry um, Gwen and the Cops uh, finally after like weeks of being tortured by these bullies and just things not going his way uh one day walking home from school uh finney walks by a black van and he sees this guy drop all his groceries on the floor and as finney tries to help him the guy opens the door he realizes there's black balloons and in that moment finney puts all the information together and realizes this is a grabber and as soon as he tries to like move away from the guy uh the dude grabs him restrains him finney manages to stab him with his uh space shuttle pen and uh stabs him in the arm but using kind of the balloons as cover uh the grabber drugs uh finney with this kind of like face mask attached to what you can only assume is like you know, nitrous or something. Uh, it is a super villain level stuff. A hundred percent. This is again. This is the first time that we actually do see the grabber in all of in most of its uh, glory. <laughs> um, but it, so the look that they have is there's an old movie from the silent film era. I think it's like 1927 called London After Midnight. Mm-hmm. And if you ever it, it doesn't exist anymore because apparently it was lost in an MGM fire like in the 60s. But mm-hmm. it's it's one of those movies to where if you look up Lon Chaney in London After Midnight, mm-hmm. you'll see that not only is he the inspiration for this character, but he's also been the, the inspiration for the main antagonist in The Babadook. And even yeah. even like the penguin from Batman Returns, <laughs> like it is, it, it it or like any like if whatever you would picture Jack the Ripper to look like if you could, like mm-hmm. just this top hat wearing overcoat like demon in the middle of the night, <laughs> like that is what <laughs> they try to make. That's basically what his mask is supposed to be, I guess. Yeah, the way it was described, because um, the grabber is played by Ethan Hawke, and I guess right. the the way they were trying, using Lon Chaney's appearance as a, uh, 
they were also trying to go for, and this is just what was described based on what I'm reading, a Pennywise meets Willy Wonka child killer. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, actually that comes off. Because yeah, if I remember it makes total sense. It makes total, it, it feels like he's Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka. As yes. To, not, definitely as not Mel Brooks. Yeah, no, as opposed to Gene Wilder, which is oh, Gene the Wilder, original, so, yeah. yeah. I don't know why I confused the two. <laughs> but um, and I think at one point he even says, uh, hey, do you want to see some magic? If anyone ever says that to you, whether you're a child or a grown-up, you better fucking run. You kick that person in wherever you think their genitals are and run. <laughs> that is the creepiest question. Hey, do you want to see some magic? No, no, I do not. <laughs> That's the only correct answer to that question right after you violently destroy their genitals. So as you run or as you run away, sorry. Um, so <laughs> after uh the grabber uh takes Finny, it's gonna be really hard not to say the grabber grabs things. <laughs> he was grabbed by the grabber. Oh man, was he poked by the poker? <laughs> so the grabber takes uh finney and he wakes up in a soundproof basement room with nothing but a bed in the middle of it that has been bolted down and a bathroom that he can go doze his peas and poops in and that's it really like it's a very creepy not saw level of like dingy and disgusting but you see a bunch of scratches on the room implying people been like trying to escape um yeah it's just like super weird and here uh we get to see like face to face or we get like some face to face time with the grabber and at first i think this is where he comes in with the demon mask right yeah like the one that doesn't have the mouth on it uh, because throughout the film, the grabber has like different kinds of masks, and it's really interesting because as the film progresses, you start noticing that the facial expressions on the masks change, like as the movie goes forward. And it like yeah, it's, it's like an upper part and a lower part. And as you mentioned, sometimes there is no lower part. Sometimes the lower part is a smiling face, or sometimes it's a sad face or yeah. angry face, I guess. And it's like as the movie progresses and the grabber becomes more unhinged, it becomes more and more angry. Um, and there's one where it's just, it looks like a weird flesh hole, I think is the only way to describe it. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, attached in this room is a black phone. How did I forget about the black phone? You know, the title. Yeah, you know, the thing the movie's named after? really you could have called this movie like you know i don't know fucking beat the shit out of kids it's the same it has the same plot you think do you think that maybe like the scene of gwen getting the shit beat out of her by her dad is like the movie trying to draw a parallel between the kids that are being grabbed by the grabber and maybe implying that the grabber was a victim of violence himself and that's why he inflicts upon others, which is something that I absolutely hate because there's a lot of people that grow up with like trauma that, you know, all that do become functioning members of society. 
Yeah. But it's like that. And then and then the fact that like, you know, once Finney is captured and he is in this basement and we do see the black phone that the grabber at some point makes mention to the fact that that phone hasn't worked since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Meaning is this weird, like, I don't know, is this like supernatural shit, something that goes like beyond like the kids see it. And then when you become an adult, you don't see it. I don't know. Abuse kids can see it. I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure what this is all trying to say, but it feels like it's trying to do something. This is where it gets convoluted because it's never explained why the grabber can hear the phone and why um, and why Finney can hear the phone, but no one else. Like, I guess it could be that they got a little bit of shining to them. <laughs> I mean... And I think that's what Dr. Sleep deposits, right? It's like the idea that if you do anything like this is that there are just people that exist and have these weird, like, these weird mental powers that can punch through the veil of between life and death. And, you know, and some people are able to, like, read the future. I don't know. Like, it's super weird. I think there might be something to drawing the parallels between about hurt people hurt people. Um but I feel like that scene was more like the, the scene of uh, the dad beating uh, Gwen was more just about his fear and how like kind of fear of the unknown and not understanding what's going on can lead you to be like a hurt person that hurts even your family. It gets weird. It gets super fucky wucky at this point. <laughs> like, I don't exactly know what the, what's the point that, or what's the, what's the point of all the supernatural stuff going in other than to make this movie a supernatural thriller? Right. Yeah. Because at this point uh, is when we find out that, um, you know, the, the, the phone hasn't worked. Like you were saying, the phone doesn't work. Finney can't use it to call anybody, but it can take calls that only he can hear. And whenever he answers it, he gets a different voice of a different person that was kidnapped by the, the the grabber. And you're left to assume that these are all, that these are the uh, ghosts of uh, grabber victims who are now trying to help Finney escape. And all the while, the grabber continues to try to goad Finney into playing um, these games also that the grabber can exact revenge or just enact violence onto him and it starts with i believe crap what was his name i forgot the name of the kid i think it was like the paper boy and essentially he starts telling uh but that's the thing like every every ghost that finney talks to gives him another piece of information that he needs right because the paper boy like i mean he does have a name but it it isn't like he wasn't a character that that interacted with Finn, so far as mm-hmm. I know. There's a couple of characters. There's a few characters in this that did not interact with him at all before. Uh, bef- well, throughout the movie when we were watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only ones that did interact with him were obviously Robin, uh, Robin, Bruce, and Vance, the the pinball bully. But I think the rest of them were just kids that they'd heard stories about being kidnapped. Uh, but each kid gives him something different. Like, I think it's the paper boy that gives, um, he gives uh, Finny uh, like a, a cable or like a string that he'd been working on uh, to try to help him escape. 
uh, which uh, Finn then uses to try to climb up uh, so that he can un, you know, he, so that he can undo the window uh, or unlock the window to hopefully scream for help. Uh, but before he's able to open the window uh, to help himself, uh, the iron grate that the that is covering the window ends up like snapping off and falling uh, on top of him. So, which kind of destroys that plan for him. And from there, um, he, what else happens? I think he also gets help about digging the hole, right? I think like Bruce tells him to start digging and that the idea was that if he can try to dig under the foundation, he can pop out somewhere in the basement. So he starts um, Which is digging. like highly unlikely. It feels like something that like <laughs> it feels like something that a kid would think for sure. But mm-hmm. as an adult, you're like, there's no fucking way that he would that he would like Shawshank Redemption tunnel his way out like that. <laughs> and I think that that that's part of the thing is that these kids are trying to make him think that um, the whole point is to escape when in reality it's to fight, right? Mm-hmm. um and so as he digs the right because what you're learning as all these characters are talking to him is that trying to escape didn't work mm-hmm. they all failed at some point and, and that's like why they're dead <laughs> yeah and he's trying all of these failed experiments to see how far he can get because even later on even later on when there's the grate in the window like and he's tries to use the cable to you know to to climb up the grate once the grate comes off, there's nothing he can really do to get himself out that window anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really weird that like he just doesn't. <laughs> I know. Yeah, as it digs what I will say is the, ten- the the tension that's really fucking good in this. Two of the jump scares come out of the phone scenes, and they're good. Mm-hmm. And this the tension in this is that every single time that Finney is on the phone with one of these uh, dead kids. Like you get this lingering feeling that the grabber could come in at any moment because many times he's like leaves the door wide open for Finney to leave. And one of the kids tells him that that's kind of the point, like that, that he basically plays a game with all of them called Naughty Boy, which is gross and scary. So but terrifying. the idea is that he just sits in the kitchen staring at the door uh, with his mask on, waiting to see one of the kids try to escape, and when they try to escape, that's basically where he kills them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, again, like Ethan Hawke does such a good job of being terrifying because he. Yeah, like, I'm comes... not used to seeing him in such a villainous capacity like this. It definitely is something interesting for him to be playing. Like when he goes downstairs and talks to Finney and he starts talking to him in a, like a soft voice trying to like be his friend and then it just like switches suddenly and he starts getting really harsh and angry with him. Like just well, even his vocal and the other thing too is that is that you know Ethan Hawk is much older than we remember him. We are people <laughs> who watched him in his late nineties, early two thousand stuff. So you know, the fact that years of possibly smoking cigarettes have given him such a raspy voice that even when he's not yelling he's got this like insanely gravelly like voice when he's talking like in a very calm way was he a smoker i had no idea i don't know that he smokes at all i'm just saying that like just the graveliness of his voice and it could just be an age thing like it just comes with age because obviously he is much older now 
but mm-hmm. it's just yeah it's just like it's it's just weird it sounds like a it sounds like a smoker's like deep gravelly voice to me yeah he ain't he ain't jay coint no more i'll tell you that that's a deep cut for training day <laughs> if anyone picked up on that you win a gold star yeah so as Finney is like trying to he like and Finney's a smart kid he knows he can't have a bunch of dirt kind of laying around so he starts flushing it like little by little um he himself is showing also how much patience he has uh all the while um Gwen is like bargaining with God and Jesus to try to like get another vision so that she can help the police find her brother uh, it get, you know, there's a like the police form uh, kind of search parties to look in the woods for uh, look in the woods for Finney to know with no obviously uh, to no success. They start canvassing the neighborhoods. Um, they start canvassing the neighborhoods door to door, and when they get to a certain house, they end up talking to um, I forget what the dude's name is. They end up meeting this. Interest this really weird character named Max, who they realize who is kind of like a grabber truther, and he starts <laughs> telling the cops that he's there to watch his brother's house, and that he, um, it felt the most television of all of this stuff too. Like it, it was super. It felt like something that comes specifically out of like Stranger Things or something. Like it's oh, just totally. weird, bizarre like comedy character <laughs> that exists here. Yeah, like I agree with that because he's just like he's just like all hopped up and he's just like, yeah, he goes, so I've been finding out, I've been following the patterns of where all these kids have been caught. And he goes, as you see, he goes, you got these neighborhoods, which makes sense that the grabber lives here in this neighborhood. <laughs> and then the cops are just like, okay, buddy, we we hear you. We're both on the same page here. If you hear anything, please make sure to call. Uh, one of the police officers tells him that he should tidy up the place uh, and uh, points down at the coffee table where we see three lines of coke where Max is like, oh, fuck, I'm in trouble. And then he proceeds to do more coke. <laughs> and you get that uh, panning shot that shows Max in the living room. And as the camera starts going down to levels of the house, we see that in his basement, is where Finney is being held. And mm-hmm. you're left to assume that Max is, if he's not the grabber himself, he's working with the grabber. Which, I mean, clearly he doesn't look like him. Um, so it can't it's, it can't be that he's the grabber, but you're left to assume that he might know something. And as, the, as it continues, the grabber continues playing mind, mind games with him. And uh, Finney continues uh, talking on the phone where uh, he ends up uh, getting another phone call from uh, Vance, um, the, the bully from the pinball machine in the, in the store where we see, <laughs> we see what happened to Vance, where he ends up like getting into a fight with the bullies that uh, go after Finney. Uh, where one of those kids pulls out a switchblade to try to fight Vance, and then he just, like, slaps it out of his hand and starts beating the kid, like, near death. (laughs) It's pretty chaotic. It's so wild. But pretty much here, Vance, uh, he antagonizes Finny, but tells him about how his plan was to um, 
was to break a hole in the what's it called uh break a hole in the wall and that it would lead him to the uh panel of the of a freezer and that if he can kick the door open he can escape from the freezer um escape from the freezer through uh (laughs) it's the most wild escape method possible because you're like how the fuck did this get there (laughs) like it does make you wonder like how this kid even got there like it's so like yeah that one was weird i was just like how the hell like this kid thought of just smashing a wall until finally he found a way out (laughs) i'm like it makes sense he's the most destructive and uh violent of the kids um, and then later, uh, Finney gets another call from uh, another uh, victim who reveals that the uh, grabber uh, lo- has a bike lock on his on the main entrance uh, or on the main door, and that he can't get out unless he uh, uses the combination. Uh, to which uh, Finney doesn't know, and that the child barely remembers. But he says that if he gets the combination, he'll be able to make an escape. Mm-hmm. So he waits until the grabber falls asleep. And uh, he slowly makes his way up out of the room and tries to sneak out. And manages to get the combination finally, uh, which w- awakens the grabber's dog. And waking up the grabber. Uh, Finney ends up making a beeline out and gets chased uh, as the gr- uh, grabber gets in his van. He tackles. This scene him. is really good because this it's scene, good. You, you almost think that this is the that this is going to be where it ends, right? Like this is mm-hmm. it. He's finally getting out of here, and then it's just got this like it's it's the it's that repressive like it's the depressing reality of the fact that he may not get out of this because. He goes out there, and then the grabber, like, catches up to him, runs out, like, you know, gets out of the car, runs out and grabs him, and he couldn't really get very far, and, and now they're, like, he, he's got a knife held up to Finney while, like, you know, the porch light of the neighbor goes on, you know, where he's running out to see if anyone is there because Finney mm-hmm. was yelling, and uh, then all of a sudden, nothing happens, the light turns off, and there he is, gonna get thrown right back in that basement, <laughs> But apparently that wasn't naughty enough for him to get killed. Or was it, I guess? Like, even after, like, he loses Naughty Boy, like, he doesn't actually kill him right away. No, because I think at one point... um, Which is James Bond levels of, like, bad villain plotting. And I guess it makes... It's one of those things where he... I mean, he says Finney's his favorite of the boys, right? Creepy as fuck. But I think the thing is, if I had to guess, and this could be me just putting my, you know, fucking true crime, you know, bargain store psychologist helmet on, he's, for all intents and purposes, the grabber is a process killer, right? It's like he needs it to follow a certain ritual. He needs it to go a certain way um, for him to actually get the thrill of the kill. And I feel that he wants to kill Finney, but he wants it to be done the right way that he wants Finney to make the right mistakes. And he wants Finney to make the right sins to justify him killing him, like all the other boys. 
the thing is, because he's getting help, it's the fact that he can't now. He can't do things the ritualistic way. Um, because for some reason, this kid keeps finding loopholes in this system to not, you know, quote unquote, piss him off, to not make him angry. Uh, until finally he tries to make the escape. Um, so that's the only reason why I think the grabber hasn't killed him to this point, because you would expect that right after that, you know, he would have offed Finney right away. Uh, even in the last phone call he finally gets, um, where Finney gets told by, uh, gets told by, uh, by Robin that this is the last phone call and at this point there's uh you know the grabber um the grabber's losing it the uh finney's been putting up a fight and that the grabber hasn't been able to break him so now he's just gonna go kill him and at this point is when um finney has to learn to fight and you get that um you know, you get that moment where, like, Finney kind of breaks down. It's like, I can't do it. I'm not strong. I'm not you. And Robin tells him, well, you have to fake it. You have to survive. If you can't survive for yourself, I need you to do it for me because I couldn't kill him myself. Um, so he teaches him how to fight, essentially, over the phone. And he tells him it's easy. He teaches him how to, like, slip, you know, slip out of the, uh, slip out of his range um and how to get in close so that he can hit him with the phone handle the idea is that uh finney's gonna pack it with as much dirt as he can uh give it some make it nice and heavy so that way he doesn't hurt his hand when he punches um when he punches the uh the grabber and in the meantime while this is all happening gwen is having more recurring dreams and more visions including the day vance got uh kidnapped and this is where she starts seeing um, where she starts seeing the possible houses that Finney could be kidnapped and he's being held in. She rides around the city, the different neighborhoods in the city to try to find a house that looks like the entrance. Um, and she tries to find uh, the address, never, never truly uh, getting close enough. Um, so it's like it's what it's one of those things where it's like you, you got all this tension building because it's like it's a race against time for both right where Gwen doesn't know she's up against the clock but she needs to find the house that Finney's stuck at and then of course Finney having to come up with a plan not knowing any not knowing what to do but knowing that very soon uh the grabber's finally going to come downstairs and he's going to try and kill him um so yeah after his um after he tries to make an escape through the through the fridge, after he talks to Robin, um, and, and Robin encourages him to finally fight back, uh, this is where he comes up with the plan. Um, and th- so he ends up taking like the 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 cable left behind by the paper boy or the uh, the wire left behind by the paper boy, and creates kind of like a a trip wire. Um, he ends up covering up the hole that he dug and he ends up uh, what's it called? Uh, like taking, taking some meat out of the fridge. And as he, you know, as he prepares and as like the police uh, start, 
or they start listening to to Gwen and start going to these houses uh, to try to find um, to try to find Finny. You get like these shots that are interspersed of what's going on at Finny's house and what's going on with the cops until finally uh, the cops end up getting to a house. And as they go in, you think they're going to find Finny down in the basement, but it's revealed that it's not the right house. And that they end up finding the house where the grabber has been burying the kids. So you're left to wonder where the, uh, uh, where the house Finny is. And it turns out it's across the street. And you have Max uh, actually be the one to discover who uh, that Finney's downstairs. And as um, just as Max is kind of putting everything together and realizing what his brother was doing, it's shown that right behind him is the grabber with his dog and he buries an axe right in Max's head or right in Max's head, killing him. Brutal. Um, Disgusting. Oh my God. It was so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was nuts. It really was like, I it, it was like again early two thousands, late two thousands, like level, like something out of hostel. Like it was so gross. So after this, um, after this, uh, Finny uh, start you know starts fighting with the with the grabber. The grabber swinging his axe at him. Uh, Finney's able to uh, go into the hallway leading into the bathroom, uh, stepping over the tripwire. The uh, grabber is unable to see it and ends up tripping over the wire and trying to get his footing, steps on where he thinks uh, should be solid ground, turns out it's the covered rug. As he falls, you see him like hyperextend his ankle and he's just stuck there now. <laughs> As someone who has rolled their ankles super hard, I felt his pain. And then uh, Finney, then remembering everything Robin told him and everything else, starts just bashing the grabber's face in with the uh, with the phone receiver. And as he like slides or he like jumps over and like wraps the cable of the phone uh, receiver around. <laughs> Um, the grabber's throat, the uh, grabber starts grabbing at it. You hear the phone ring one more time and every boy ended their conversation with a very disjointed laugh, ending, like a sign off, right? No, it's true, yeah. So then uh, at that point, Finney grabs the phone and says, it's for you, puts it up to um, puts it up to uh, the grabber's head and finally, you find out that all those sign-offs were the last words they wanted to say to the grabber, mm-hmm. ending everyone saying, you're fucking dead, I finally got you, something to that effect, with um, Robin finally saying, uh, I finally killed you, to which, and then the last voice being Bruce saying that uh, Finney's arm has always been fucking mint, and that right at that moment, Finney snaps his neck over his shoulder, and I was like, oh! I I remember in the movie theater I I like screamed out a little bit I was like that was so fucking good <laughs> it's such an emotional cathartic moment it is it's, such a well done scene it's what horror movies can do at certain times and again what one of the reasons why it makes sense that this was done in the seventies is because it is very Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween like it is the it is, yes, it is the person who's been victimized by the killer the entire movie is standing up to the killer. And it's the final girl moment. Like it he, is. He, he is the one that's going to 
stand up for all the shit that he was taking and he will murder the shit out of the grammar. (laughs) (laughs) After he's in the school, because everything is, everything in this movie has a purpose. And I remember I was telling you, it's so satisfying when that happens. Like the whole reason the grate had to come off the window was because that was the hard landing the grabber needed to like break his ankle on. And it's like the wire was what made him trip. Um, what was it? The hole was what kind of like the level the playing field using the receiver was the weapon. And it's like, and even when you think that the, the freezer has zero purpose, you find out that um, Finney grabbed the uh, piece of meat and it thawed and he used that to distract the dog long enough for him to uh, be able to go around it and escape. Yeah, and, and then course, of course, for all of us who forgot, you know that that we still have like psychic Gwen that's been on the case, like looking for it. So, which they, we do get the scene where Gwen gets very close to finding him, where she actually finds the house where all the bodies are buried, mm-hmm. like which is supposed to be across the street or like down the street or something. Uh, there is the scene where she's like riding down in the thunderstorm, and then all of a sudden, like she sees all the dead kids like standing in the middle of the street, which was a jump scare that made me jump in my seat yep. <laughs> in the theater. Um, but anyway, you know, Super Detective Gwen shows up and, and <laughs> she, she did get the police department to go find, you know, what she thought was finding the grabber. But they end up seeing the bodies uh, in the basement of this house. And then once we get the escape from Finney, Finney like walks out of the other house across the street. And that's when everyone finally like, you know, sees him and finds, you know, and finds out that you know he's alive and mm-hmm. thankfully he's alive and they find the body of the grabber probably in a mutilated state in the basement mm-hmm. at that point um you know the the dad finds uh gwen and finney at the you know at night uh and starts just begging for forgiveness for being a shitty dad and uh as they leave with their dad the uh police officers the detectives that have been that believed gwen um start giving kind of like facts of the case um talking about how the nightmare is over and we cuts to the you know next time that uh finney goes to school and everyone is talking about him everyone is talking about how that's the guy that killed the grabber there there's my favorite joke where someone's like oh i thought he'd be taller (laughs) And he walks by the bullies. The bullies that were once terrorizing him are scared shitless of him. (laughs) And everyone treats him completely different. And he ends up going to... um, He ends up going to class where he runs into that girl he has a crush on. Um, And I forget, she says something about uh, Welcome Back, Finny. And he turns to her and says, It's just Finn. And that, you know, roll credits, and that's the end of the movie. Did you like the black phone? I'm surprised I liked it more than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that this movie was going to be mid, Mm -hmm. or that this movie was going to be, like, super easy to tell where it was going. And I think they they did a good job of taking a predictable plot and making it you know subverting expectations in a certain way or 
and kind of doing what works in the genre you know kind of what works with this type of story they've really leaned into it and they made it fun to watch at the very least um yeah like i said i wasn't a huge fan of like the random bits of violence against children that amounted to not much as far as the story goes um but aside from that i felt like all these kids had good for uh good performances you know uh as good as child actors can do um you know finn is a very relatable kid for that time um you know i think we all know what it's like to be awkward and and weird and afraid to stand up for yourself at such a young age um Ethan Hawke was terrifying. I thought he did a fantastic job as the villain. He makes the movie really because Mm -hmm. it is so it's such a left field turn from anything I've seen him in before that it just yeah it's really bizarre. Like it and it and it does kind of make the movie. (laughs) The kids record the the kids on the on the phone were great too. Like the just conveying the dread and really amping up what the with the dread of the movie in total. And of course, I, I love the final sequence that I love how it all came together. I love how satisfying it was. I love how it felt that every character that the grabber had killed kind of got their way to get revenge uh, all through Finny. Um, so I think it was a great movie. It's one of those I don't see myself coming back to, though. I, it's probably one of those movies I'm going to watch like once in a while. Um and if I ever see it like on Netflix or something, I'm like, oh yeah, I did like that movie. Let me put it on, you know. But yeah, what about you, Angel? Did you like the Black Phone? I did. I definitely did. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's the best thing I've ever seen. And you know, it's one of those movies that maybe I'll forget about like in a few months. But I definitely enjoyed watching it. It was nice to get out and go to a theater to watch a horror movie again. I just don't get to do that very often. And it's it's a really good movie like to to go and and have a good time watching. So anyone who's like, you know, maybe on the fence about going to see it, if you're a fan of horror movies, you probably should go check it out. I think there's enough fun stuff in here that you'll really enjoy what you're watching. And uh, seeing Ethan Hawke play this kind of villain character is probably worth the price of admission of admission alone. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting to see Scott Derrickson like uh, come you know leave a, a project like dr strange and come and do something like this really small blumhouse horror movie but mm-hmm. it's definitely good i i'm really looking forward to seeing sinister next week and and seeing if if maybe his work is better done in horror because as much as i did like uh the second dr strange movie that first dr strange movie while it's good it, it there's it feels it, it feels so like generic to me that I, you know, I, I'm just not as crazy about it as maybe other people are. Well, there's, yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of weird movies between phase two and three that are just kind of like They're... middle of the way Marvel. And unfortunately, Doctor Strange got caught in that one. Yeah. So, uh, uh, anyway, we'd like wait, to one last for... thought. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to throw this out there. You and I watch a lot of horror movies, and yes. horror is one of the most self referential. Um, self-referential genres. Uh, genres. Thank you. Sorry. And sometimes it's cool, and sometimes it really takes you out of the film. And I really appreciated that this movie has a very nuanced way of being, like referencing other horror movies without truly taking you out. 
Mm-hmm. And that's cool. And I really hope that in the future, a lot more filmmakers will try kind of go in that route as opposed to, you know, being a little bit more nuanced in their references as opposed to, um, as opposed to it being so hand fisted the way I don't want to, I don't want to say scream, but five cream <laughs> is kind of like that. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we, hey, we're getting another one that Nep Campbell apparently decided she did not want to come back for because they're not paying her enough money. So we'll yeah. see. That franchise that franchise has the potential to get even worse. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So anyway, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. Uh, really appreciate you guys continuing to follow with us. Uh, follow us uh, throughout the summer. Please continue to interact with us on social media. Uh, please uh, leave us reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts if you can and rate the show on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify uh, to try to help raise awareness for the show. And uh, again, we're going back to horror movies again uh, next week. And I am looking forward to us getting back after the July 4th holiday to talk Ethan Hawke and Scott Derrickson again <laughs> when we talk uh, when we talk Sinister. So uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a hot pod summer, y'all. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>